In this show, I talk to John Aspirian. We chat about how to make technical subjects simple, clear, and understandable. Welcome to episode 114 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey folks, and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks as always for downloading or streaming the show and for your feedback by email and on Twitter. As always, I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy from Edinburgh. I'm passionate about helping you keep your marketing simple and growing your business. Please do get in touch if you need help with your marketing. Complexity, bloat, management speak and jargon seem to creep into all forms of communication these days. Some industries are guiltier than others in this respect. I read a great article in the FT recently by Lucy Kellaway. She gives out awards each year for the worst excesses of management mumbo-jumbo and bollocks. It's staggering to hear companies firing employees but calling it an orderly ramp-down. And the one that made me laugh the most was the consultant who wanted to cold towel an idea. Cold towel! He didn't even want to put a cold towel on the idea. He turned it into a verb. He wanted to cold towel it. This leads perfectly into this week's interview with John Aspirian. We chat about why jargon, management speak and bloat thrive in many industries. How people want simple, often visual explanations of complex subjects, avoiding complexity creep during the internal sign-off process, and building a personal brand using content marketing and social media. John is a freelance technical writer who produces razor-sharp content that gets results. His website is in the number one spot on Google for the search term Technical Writing Services UK. John is also a director of the Society for Editors and Proofreaders. So let's get into that interview with John right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. And John, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to be here. Where are we Skyping each other from today? Of course, I'm in Edinburgh, as always. Yeah, I'm on the mean streets of Newport in South Wales. So that's one of of seven Newports in the UK. But yeah, we're uh, between Cardiff and the Seven Bridge. The mean streets, the mean streets of Newport. (laughs) That sounds really intriguing, but we won't go into that. John, you are a technical writer copywriter, editor, and there's lots of stuff I want to talk to you about today about how to write good copy, clear language, how to move away from management speak and jargon. But before we get into the nitty gritty of today's interview, why not tell the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast a little bit about yourself, you know, where you came from, and basically what makes John tick? Okay, well, yes, I'm a technical copywriter. There are lots of different names for the job that I do. But basically, I write words that help people provide support in their businesses. So I work for online tech businesses mostly and spend most of my day explaining how products and services work in a a non-scary way. So a lot of that involves writing simple language. And I know that's, uh, that's something you're passionate about. And where have I come from? Well, 
my background is in software and hardware testing, actually. I used to work for Virgin Media and some other internet service providers here in the UK and ended up having a quality assurance role there. So I was the, I was the guy running the teams who would listen to people's phone calls and oversee their emails and check for quality and so forth. And that eventually led to me becoming interested in an editorial career. Mm-hmm. And so I studied editing and have worked my way up to become a director of the Society for Editors and Proofreaders. And at the same time, I just write uh, simple, helpful content for for businesses. And I've been doing that since towards the end of 2009. So we're about, about seven years in now. And was there like a light bulb moment, John, when you thought, this is what I want to do? I want to write and help people to express themselves in a clear and concise way. Yeah, I think when I was working in-house, you know, I was the guy who often had the, the longest queue at my desk for help um, because I seemed to be, I suppose, a, a natural teacher where I could get concepts, difficult concepts across um, in simple terms that, that people found um, helpful and that wasn't condescending and it was enjoyable. I like explaining how things work and I guess that's my vocation. So when I was ultimately made redundant and I decided to set up for myself, I thought explaining things for a living would be yeah, a good career choice. And you're looking at, you say it's a technical copywriting role. And by technical, does that mean that you could be on one day, you could be writing a, um, a load of technical stuff for a credit card. And then on the next day, it might be some technical stuff for how a burglar alarm system works. Does it go as yes. wide as that? Yes. It's that kind of stuff. When you put technical into copywriting um, job title, what that signifies usually is that you're working in a non-sales environment. So mm-hmm. if you said copywriter on its own, it would usually mean something like selling a product yes. or promoting a campaign or promoting a charity or a religion or whatever, some sort of content that would would prompt the reader to take action. Whereas my kind of writing, what I'm better at is explaining and educating. And, and in that context, I help people who usually already are customers of they're using a product or they're using a service and they want to know how to get the best of it. So mm-hmm. my clients are the ones who want to educate and inform and, and specifically retain their customers. You know, it's far better to retain a long-term customer than it is to go chasing after new ones. So, uh, and my technical uh, copywriting is usually around things that are, most people would consider a little bit techy at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, my most high-profile bit of writing that's in the public domain would be an explanation of how the Sky Plus remote control works. So I wrote for Sky a couple of years ago explaining how buttons and recording and, and things like that work. They're things of a technical nature. That's a really interesting um, distinction, actually, and that difference between copywriting being mainly about selling a service or a product yeah. and technical copywriting actually being more educational 
for the people who've effectively already bought it. And I think I, I used the example of a burglar alarm before. We moved into our new house four years ago and a burglar alarm came with the house. And I picked up the uh, very large and very long brochure and technical guide for this um, burglar alarm. It's about 90 pages long. And quite <laughs> honestly, I might actually send it to you, John, and ask you to rewrite it because honestly, it is just utterly unfathomable. I just cannot work out anything about how this thing works. And in the end, I actually had to ring the people up and say, look, you're going to have to send somebody somebody round to set it all up for me because this booklet is hopeless. Yeah, um, that's the kind of feedback I see all the time from people who are frustrated with manuals. So I'm not the kind of person who would produce a traditional 200-page manual. It's mm-hmm. just not my style to try to do that because mm-hmm. more often than not, they're completely ineffective. Uh, what people want, especially since the advent of things like the iPhone, is they want something that is very short, very punchy, very visually focused. So I think good modern copywriters actually have to have some kind of design skills or some kind of visual awareness to know what's going to work on the page and on the screen. And I produce short uh, guides and I also produce video guides because that's what people expect. It's the YouTube generation, you know, so those old user manuals are going to be relics very soon if they're not already. Mm, that's That's an interesting angle to think about because I think you already said I'm a passionate believer in simple, clear language. I've spent 25 years working in the financial services industry. And when I was marketing director, it used to be one of my real hobby horses was to try to keep all the copy in whatever it was a sales sales aid or it was a sales brochure or it was even a technical guide. It needs to be simple. It needs to be understandable. It shouldn't be using complex language and jargon and management speak. And yet, it's an industry, the financial services industry, is, a, is an industry that seems to be very slow to change. And we seem to desperately want to hang on to that complexity and hang on to that verbosity and bloat, as I call it. Why do you think this happens? It's not just financial services, is it? It happens in all sorts of industries. In a lot of cases, it's just people harking back to the, the old way of doing things. And I think that in itself is no good reason to keep doing something. We should do what is effective and we should always inspect the way we write to see what what really resonates with our audience and i think a large part of it as well is this kind of intellectual posturing where people think that long florid sentences with really huge words are going to impress people mm. They might impress uh, a small proportion of the audience, but the modern audience wants to do business with other human beings. And I think the more we keep that in mind, the more we'll be inclined to simplify our language. And I think that will lead to good results. Yeah, again, quite a few of the people that I've dealt with um, who are my clients have asked me to to edit copy for them, copy that's already been written. And there's been a number of occasions that this year when I've been handed an, a brochure for an investment uh, portfolio. And it's been one of those occasions where I've sat down and started to edit it. And then I've realized that actually... I should throw this away and start from scratch. Yes. Yes. It's funny that because, um, 
when you look at the rates for editing text versus the rates for writing text, very often writers will get paid more than than editors will. But mm. often it, it's so hard to edit something that's poorly written that it actually would make more sense to throw it in the bin and start again. And uh, more and more I'm finding that that is necessary because I'll, I'll be presented with something that, that doesn't sound like it was written by a human being. If I were sitting down face to face and talking to someone about their product or service, mm -hmm. there's absolutely no way that they talk to me in the way that they've presented in text. And so when I see that, I see that kind of that disconnect between what a real human would say and mm -hmm. what they're trying to present in a brochure or wherever else. And it, that just feels really false to me. And I, I, I certainly wouldn't buy a product like that. And, and I think more people are coming around to that line of thinking and they wouldn't either. No, it's getting to that stage now where I think the writing is more important than it ever has been. So what would you say to somebody who is sitting down and maybe starting to put together the aforementioned investment brochure could be one thing or or it could be just a guide to to any sort of product it's not just financial services people who listen to this podcast and apart from obviously hiring you to do it for them if they if they were sitting there trying to work it out themselves what would your advice be well the very first thing i, I always do with with all new clients is to try to get into the head of who it is that's going to be reading the content. I mean, mm -hmm. what what you write doesn't really, what you think about what you write doesn't really matter. What really matters is who's on the other side of the conversation, who mm. is going to be reading this stuff, you know, so go as deep as you can to try and understand who your target audience is. Mm. I've got a blog post about this called pen portraits where, where I sit down with the client and we'll go through questions in minute detail to try and dig out exactly who it is not just the not just the high level demographic stuff but really the, you know the likes and the fears and the things that motivate them and and the kind of the kind of words that would really really appeal to them mm -hmm. and then try to match all that up with whatever is quintessentially you so think about your own brand values what what is it what are the two or three things that you'd always want to represent in a conversation you had with a real human being and make sure that those come out and be consistent about bringing them out so mm -hmm. not just say them once every you know once in a blue moon kind of thing but but think very clearly about how you want to communicate and be very very consistent about the way you do it so that you build that that know, like, and trust factor, which mm. is, you know, that's central to good content marketing. And uh, I think if you can do that, then you'll be on the right page. And the end result will probably seem a lot more human. And it can be, you know, brave to take that, that, that approach when there's so much corporate stuffy content out there. Mm. But I think that's the way that's the way to stand out. And I, I, you know, I remember you talking about this before when, when you've talked about bright gray, Yes, uh, it's, it, it's, it is brave, but it's also the right thing to do. And if you can do that, you, you can get a competitive edge and, um, why not do it? No, it's my, my argument. That's absolutely spot on. And do you know, one of the biggest revelations for me, I mean, I've been writing, um, in, a, in, in, as part of my job for, for almost as long as I've been in a job 
And the biggest revelation for me really has been the ability to use the dictation facility on an iPhone over mm. the last three or four years. Yeah. Simply being able to turn on the dictation, walk around the house and talk into the microphone. And my articles now appear on the page exactly as I talk. Now, I've always had the ability on the whole to write articles like I talk, but actually physically being able to do that now with a dictation facility is has been an even bigger step forward. And I encourage a lot of people to give that a try. Okay, the punctuation might be a bit out and I'm sure it'll misspell a few words, but you can sort that out later. If you can get the bare bones of your idea down in writing by dictating it, then it'll be just like you talk. And when we talk, especially if we're talking in the pub or in a coffee shop, we don't use jargon and management speak and silly words, or at least we shouldn't. No, that's right. And it's a really, really good tip, actually. I've started doing that myself recently. And also, it's particularly good if you're the kind of person who has to stand up in meetings and give presentations mm. to others, because doing that will 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 reveal to you your own um, verbal preferences, you know, your own, um, the way you speak. Yes shown on paper on digital paper will will give you some pointers about you know the, the things that you're perhaps not doing very well that you can adjust when it comes to speeches so that there's more than one value to, to taking that approach and i yeah i really like that and one of the other things that tends to happen again in heavily regulated industries but again i imagine this probably happens in all industries is somebody like yourself will put together a great piece of copy whether it's technical copy whether it's sales copy it might be nice and succinct and it might read well and it might not use a lot of jargon, etc. But then it will go through some sort of internal sign-off process. And that's when other people get their grubby little mitts on it. And you might have the, the legal department want this paragraph rewriting because maybe they think from a legal point of view it's a little bit dodgy. Or maybe they don't think it feels professional. And I've, I've had legal people want to rewrite paragraphs and I've challenged them on it. And they said, well, I wouldn't have written it like this. And I've had to say, well, as long as it's legal, it stays written like it was written by the marketing people. Just because you didn't like it personally isn't a good enough reason to rewrite it. How, yes. do, you, how do you avoid this sort of complexity creep when you have a company sign-off process that undoubtedly involves quite a few different personalities and skills yeah i mean realistically very often that can't be avoided because at the end of the day there's someone paying a check and if they want to to modify the content that you produce for them then that is their prerogative of course all i, all I can say to people if i've got a good enough relationship with them to say it honestly is that you don't buy a dog and then bark yourself you know <laughs> so you're hiring me for a reason mm. you're that that means that you need to put some trust into what i'm doing um and if you don't and you want to change it and then it turns into something that wasn't as effective as you hoped for well it's difficult to stand back and then say, you know, you didn't do a good job because because you've you've changed some things. Mm. But uh, yes, in the real world, it does happen all the time. And, and because of that, sometimes it's not the worst thing that some of my writing isn't publicly credited because often, you know, the client will <laughs> then go and put a load of polish on or just add a random paragraph mm. perhaps that was completely mm. unnecessary and in those circumstances you have to kind of bite your lip and as a professional say well I didn't want it like that but 
at the end of the day it's the client it's the client paying the check and you've got to kind of respect that but i suppose make it clear up front that uh, you're the you're the professional you're representing the words as well you as well as best you can and and hope that the client sees the value that you're bringing i think i think that's absolutely spot on advice and and if you are working for a company and you have commission somebody like John to write great succinct copy for you you really do need to try to keep it in the manner in which John submitted it and and try to overcome the need within those companies for personalities to to almost want to put their own stamp of approval onto a piece of um, of copy and, and again my mantra when I was in charge was always as long as it doesn't break any laws and as long as it's compliant then 50 other people could have written it a different way but as long as it is compliant and it is legal it doesn't get rewritten and my goodness did that take a lot of um, hard conversations to get that to work because people don't like not to be able to change things it's just human nature I guess. Yeah, that's right. There's that certain kind of personality that will just pick out a cell in an Excel spreadsheet or something and say, is that number really right? And they're just querying it for the sake of querying it. It's a, it's a kind of, yeah, again, it's a kind of intellectual posturing, really. It's not, uh, it's not something that's productive often. But uh, there we go. It's a fact of life, unfortunately. But all we can do is, is represent ourselves as best we can and, and hope that clients hope that clients see the value of what we're doing and have you got any other what i would say top tips on how to keep your copy succinct simple clear and engaging yeah well you can i think keeping things as short as possible is is the best thing that you can do as shakespeare said brevity is the soul of wit Mm -hmm. i do agree with that and also, just try to remember that, you know, so by some measures, communication via words, the words might count for about 15% of meaning. That's what I've read. Mm-hmm. And that what that means is it's very easy for things to be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have a laser-like focus on clarity and so that you're not ambiguous in anything you say. So short words, short sentences, and unambiguous meanings are are the the absolute basics of getting a good message across. So the other thing that you can do that some people do is to to bring tools into the game so that you use things like for example Hemingway which will is a free app that you can you can get on online and you put your writing into it and it will highlight uh, words examples where you've used fr- for example, three words instead of one, uh-huh. and it'll highlight it in a different color and then suggest an alternative. And there are many other tools that will analyze your writing and improve it. Personally, I, I tend not to use those tools in my own writing because I, I I try to treat my own writing as though it's an art. Mm-hmm. Um, and but But for people who aren't professional writers, there are things like that that will help them you know, get basic errors out of the way and they can be very, very useful. Yeah, one of the videos that I've done recently on my YouTube channel is 
for every piece of copy you write, once you've finished writing it, try to take every paragraph you've written and reduce the paragraph down to a sentence or two. And every sentence you've already written, see if you can reduce that down to a word. Now, that's a very, very high level rule of thumb. But again, it's simple things like that, that if you have them in the back of your mind, it does help you to keep things clear and succinct and easy to read. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's it's there's absolutely no doubt that people's attention span in general is is going down so no one wants to read a wall of text so if you can cut things down then by all means do especially if you're not going to cut away any of the meaning obviously if you're going to do that then that would be a different matter but if you can retain the meaning and just make it even if it were only 10% shorter mm. that would be a win mm. uh, and that will people might not notice it but it will over time that kind of thing can draw in more customers and, and you know better loyalty and at the end of the day that leads to you know more money in your pocket great advice john now in the course of the conversation today we've both mentioned doing videos i mentioned doing a video there on youtube you also produce videos for your for your clients demonstrating how to use things and i've seen some of your work presumably using camtasia or something like that to record the screen we are both you and i major fans and believers advocates of content marketing i follow you on twitter you follow me i've seen a lot of your videos i think we both did 31-day Facebook Live challenge uh, during, was it November or October? It was October, wasn't it? It was, Um, yes. How have you used content marketing, social media to start to build your business and indeed actually build a personal brand for yourself, John? Because that's what you've done, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm kind of fairly early in in my content marketing journey i hate that word actually but it's yes i'm relatively new to content marketing i I joined the content marketing uh, academy this summer and have been using social media probably only properly since about 2014 Mm -hmm. so really very new indeed but i i can see the way the tide is turning you know everyone all the experts in the field are saying that that video is going to become ever more important Mm. And, you know, I, I went to a presentation earlier in the year where, where someone from Google stood up and said, you know, we're expecting 69% of all internet traffic to be video next year. Crikey. And when you read something like that, you when you hear something like that, you just know that if you're not on this, if you're not on this journey quickly enough, you're going to get left behind. And so I thought to myself that I'm confident enough to to appear on camera, so why not give it a try? And the the Facebook Live challenge came at a good time for me, and I think it's been an opportunity to get my personality out there a bit more, Mm -hmm. which you can't always do in words alone. Um, You can certainly do some of that in in, traditional blogging, but I think when you make a face-to-face connection with people through video, and when you do things like this, podcasts are... Although we can't see, you know, that the audience can't see us right now, but we're in their ears, whatever they're doing, shopping, walking, cooking, what mm. have you. It's a more intimate connection than writing alone. So these kind of new media, I suppose podcast is, podcasting isn't that new, but nevertheless, uh, podcasting and videos, these are ways to stand out. And, you know, we haven't reached saturation for those things yet so it's, it's a really good opportunity to put yourself out there and to show other people that uh, you know we're real human beings and that's what a lot of my marketing focus actually is right now a lot of technical writers that i know 
um, don't put their personality into what they do. They're, they're much more uh, focused on, you know, which tools they're using, yeah. which technologies they know. And, and mm-hmm. no one cares about that. They'll care about the end result. Mm-hmm. And so my way of standing out, I suppose, is to be a bit more personal and a bit more human in the way that I that I try to communicate with my audience. And yeah, video is becoming an ever greater part of that. And of course, I fully agree with you. I really like the live video thing. I, I did uh, 31 days of Periscope during August and 31 days of Facebook Live during October. And I think the thing that really, really hammered it home to me, John, was the engagement you get from doing live video. Now, okay, it's a lot of your friends turn up to watch you, but there are also other people as well who you start to create relationships with. So it's a great way to engage with people, John. Have you found since you've started focusing a lot more on social media and video and content marketing that that's actually helped you grow your business? Yeah, I think it has actually. Uh, This year has been, you know, I've had the most number of contacts through my website of any year that I've been in business this year. And that's because I've been spending so much time, I think, raising my profile Mm -hmm. uh, on social media. You know, my favorite network is twitter but i've also been doing the facebook live challenge and been very active on linkedin and i think those things are are certainly bearing fruit um people who contact me usually don't start off by saying i saw you on twitter (laughs) and or i saw you on facebook and but clearly um, anyone who does their research is going to be finding that kind of content and as i say yes my my contact my number of contacts you know that the amount of interest is going up and i think given that social is is just a big part of my marketing plan then it there seems to be a fairly clear correlation there i think that's a really important thing just to dwell on it's not just creating content to attract new customers it's when you have customers if they then come to your website for whatever reason it might be it reminds them who you are and that you're human and that you're good at what you do if they can see the content that you've produced and it's on your website. So it isn't yeah. always about finding new customers, of course, and that's a lesson that I learned as well with the same sort of thing that I've been doing here with the podcast and, and with Facebook Live. I think um, this is the kind of stuff that that uh, our colleague Mark Schaefer is talking about in his in his new book that's going to be coming out next year where, where you know, there's this process for being known and if you can... If you can put your story out on these different channels, it just just adds to that sense of authority. And if you can build that authority, then then that leads to all kinds of good things. You know, it, it la- allows you to increase your rates and allows you to target bigger clients and so forth. So so putting in that groundwork is really, really important. You might not see the results for a year, maybe even two years, but it's really worth doing because people will see you in a video interview on a podcast you know, invited to speak at events and, and, and that that just raises you to another level. And for people who are listening to the podcast who haven't heard of Mark Schaefer, and I'm hoping there's not that many people who haven't heard of Mark Schaefer, Mark Schaefer is a very famous American marketeer who's written quite a lot of books on the subject of content marketing and Twitter. And he was the keynote speaker at last year's Content Marketing Academy conference in Edinburgh. And I think it's pretty fair to say that he blew everybody away with his presentation about how you can how you need to get seen and how you need to raise your game to stand out amongst everybody else who's trying to do this stuff. And 
I know that Mark's written a new book about this stuff. You've just mentioned that he's got this formula for the, that people can follow to get themselves known. And you're playing a little bit of a part in this book, John, I believe. Yeah, he he interviewed something like 70 people in, in the process of writing the book. So it's coming out next summer and he's going to be using yeah my story as one of his case studies for the book, which is you know, it's a real honor to be to be mentioned at all in that book. It's going to be a good one. Uh, the book is going to be called Known. And uh, yeah, he's even invited me actually to speak on stage with him at the next TCMA, which is going to be in June in Edinburgh. So um, I've not been to Scotland before, but I'm really, really looking up, uh, looking forward to flying up to Edinburgh for that one. Oh, it'd be fabulous to see you up here in Scotland, John. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you up there on stage with Mark Schaefer. That's going to be really, really interesting. And what an achievement. And uh, that's just amazing. Great stuff. Yeah, thanks a lot. I mean, I'm really chuffed, I have to say. Um, he's he's become a bit of a mentor to me over the last few months. Mm-hmm. So to, to have a chance to, um, to present with him is, uh, yeah, a fantastic honor. So what I like to do on the podcast, not only talk about the marketing that we do as individuals and the businesses that we're growing as individuals. I also like to talk about what your opinions are about what's happening around in the world outside and what other people are up to in marketing. So John, has there been a marketing campaign or a product or something over the last year that's caught your attention? You've thought, wow, that's just awesome. That's a great piece of marketing or that's a great new product. Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. Well, what always impresses me because I, I, I work in in the line of writing support materials, is I'm always impressed by people who provide truly customer service mm. because it's become more rare, if, I, if I'm honest. You know, if you ask anyone, think of someone who's provided you bad customer service recently. Yeah. It's just people will be, you know, overflowing with, with suggestions. And then if you flip that around and say, who's been providing good customer service? People are often scratching their heads. I've I've been really impressed by people like Buffer, for mm-hmm. example, on social media, who who will just respond to every single tweet that you send them, and they'll 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 send you fantastic support, and that kind of thing just builds loyalty like you would not believe. You know, I I'm a complete brand advocate for them now, purely because not just because of the service which itself is good, but because of the support that comes when when anything goes when you've got questions to ask. So for me, although that's not a marketing campaign as such, I think going the extra mile with your support is just a fantastic way of just building lifelong customers. And, you know, customer value, if you can think of that, um, you can get real brand advocates on your side. So from, they, for me, are a shining example of how to do it right. I think that's a really good example. I'm a bit of a stickler for quick replies on social media as well, because let's face it, if you're a customer service business, you have to be able to talk to the customers in the way that they want to talk to you. And I want to talk to people on Twitter. Therefore, I expect a quick response from Twitter. And and actually, on the whole, it's not too bad. You know, people like British Airways respond within an hour or two. Um, the aforementioned Buffer always respond to everything and really quickly. You know, I've had responses from some brands within a couple of minutes. Virgin mm. are pretty good at that. Some brands like Scott Rail never even 
probably even log into their Twitter account and never even <laughs> respond. But that that's a different story. We won't get into uh, denigrating any brands in particular. John, what about um, what about learning? Obviously, you suck in knowledge and you're learning new things all the time. Content marketing is one of the things that you've been focusing on recently. Has there been a, a really good business book or a, or a course or something that's really engaged you over the last year or so? Well, I've joined a couple of membership communities and Mm -hmm. the things that I've learned from those, I've already mentioned the Content Marketing Academy. I've also recently joined Andrew and Pete's Atomic membership group, and there's so many good things to learn from there. I would say business books, things like uh, maybe Deep Work by Cal Newport, which is fantastic, talking about going really, really deep on a subject and and getting rid of distractions. And the aforementioned Mark Schaefer w- works things such as Tower of Twitter and the content code, these things that help you understand the basics of, of building a personal human brand on social media and promoting your content so that you can be the authority in your niche uh, those things are, uh, you know, absolute gold mines of information. Fantastic, John. It's been awesome to talk to you today. I've really enjoyed cantering through all these issues with copy and, and keeping it simple and keeping it succinct and making it human. Things that are very, very close to my heart and things that I'm passionate about as well. I'm sure there's going to be people listening to the podcast. Indeed, I hope there are people listening to the podcast who are going to want to get in touch with you and talk to you about this sort of thing. So what's the best way that the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast should get in touch with you? Well, I'm blessed with a very unusual surname. So Esprian, E-S-P-I-R-I-A-N. If you look that up, you'll find me on a million different networks. My favorite weapon of choice is Twitter. So look me up on Twitter. I am very, very chatty and I'd love to get to know you all. And I'll include links to Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. Maybe not a million links, John, but a few of them <laughs> in the show notes of the page, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. I'll also include links to the Mark Schaefer book, to the Content Marketing Academy, and Andrew and Pete's Atomic Membership Community. And anything else that you've mentioned will be in the show notes page. John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and i can't wait to meet you in six months time if not before at the tcma conference in edinburgh next summer fantastic roger thanks so much for having me it's been an absolute blast thanks for listening to the marketing and finance podcast do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash maf for links to the topics apps and books we discussed If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.